Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So the reading is taken um, from Matthew. It's on page 983. It's Matthew 16, verses 13 to 28. And it has two headings in it. Peter's confession of Christ and Jesus predicts his death. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit caused your word to be written for our learning. We pray that he now may be our teacher, that he may help us to understand your word, take it to heart, and put it into practice in our lives. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. It's a real privilege and delight to be here with you this morning. 
in a church which my wife went to when she was a student doing biblical studies here in Sheffield 35 years ago. And I used to come to from time to time when I was uh, visiting um, over here. So it's, uh, it's lovely to be here and particularly to renew fellowship and friendship uh, with um, Paul and Caroline who are very precious to us. How fortunate, I hope you realize how fortunate you are to have one of the best Bible teachers and one of the best vicars in the Church of England. And he didn't pay me to say that, I really, really believe it. So it's very good to be here this morning. Now there are three questions which need to be answered if we're going to be serious about being disciples of the Lord Jesus. The first is, in a confused world, a confused and confusing world, who is Jesus really? The second question is, that we need to engage with is, what did Jesus come to do? What was at the very center, the very heart of his ministry? In other words, how are we to understand Jesus and his ministry? And third, the third question is this, in the light of who Jesus is and what he came to do, what should be my response to him? Those three questions are fundamental to anybody who wants to be a true Christian or to follow Christ as a real disciple. And they're very helpfully and conveniently answered for us by Matthew here in this passage, which is a turning point in the gospel, as we'll see in a moment. The first question really covers the section from verse 13 down to verse 20. And Matthew tells us that after some opposition and some uh, controversy with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Matthew carefully tells us that Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi and it was there he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people think that I am? Matthew has told us this took place at Caesarea Philippi and there is a reason for Matthew saying that. He's not just saying that Jesus and the disciples came apart um, from the controversy, from the crowd to spend time together. He's saying that. But he's telling us about a particular location which gives the setting for the question. If you go to the land of Israel today, you will find that Caesarea Philippi is called Banias. And historically, in ancient times, it used to be called Panias, and that gives us the clue about the situation. The Greek god Pan, from which we get the word pantheon or pantheism, which means the worship of many gods. And it was in this particular place, which had been called by Herod Philip, who was the ruler of the area, he had renovated the city. In order to bolster his own ego, he had called it after himself, Philippi. And in order to keep in with the Caesars, he had called it Caesarea Philippi. But it was a place famous for multi-faith worship. And if you go there, as I did a couple of years ago uh, with my wife, you can see the ruins of the, um, the temple to Pan. It was a place famous for a plethora of claims to believe this, that, or the next, or do the Roman thing, which was to put them all together in some kind of pantheism. 
So against the background of multi-faith worship, against the background of different claims saying, believe this, follow this, go this way, Jesus said, who do, you, who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? Well, let's just pause and think for a moment. If you go into W.H. Smith's and look at the religious section, you will see a pantheon of different claims. Believe this, find your own fulfillment, turn in on yourself, discover the true you, find fulfillment. Uh, six easy steps to follow Buddhism. Uh, this, that, or the other about different world faiths. So in the context we find ourselves in modern Britain, it's important for us to say, who is Jesus, really? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they answer to him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. The spirit that people recognize, the spirit of God that was so manifestly seen in the ministry of these great prophets of old, Elijah and Jeremiah, was clearly, wonderfully, beautifully seen in the Lord Jesus. And John the Baptist, who had had such a big effect on the community, some people thought, how could he possibly really be dead? God maybe has brought him alive again. There's a similarity between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of John the Baptist. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? You see, some people did get to the point of saying, Jesus is an admirable moral teacher. Although many people in modern Britain, sadly, we, are, we have a generation of people who are not exposed to the teaching and the stories of the Bible, who don't know what Jesus was like and desperately need to be shown him. But some people get as far as believing Jesus was a good man. Or if you talk um, to a follower of Islam who will say that he was a prophet. But it's not adequate to stop there. It's simply not a true reflection of who Jesus is. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, love Simon Peter, don't you? the person who was always willing to be the spokesman for the group, the one who would uh, speak up when others were a bit diffident about saying anything. And here Peter gets it absolutely right. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are God's promised Messiah. All through the Old Testament promised that God one day would come. No longer just a prophet, but God would come in this messianic king. And in the arrival of this Messiah, God personally would come amongst his people. And Peter says... You are the Christ. You are that one predicted of old. You are the one who has come. You have arrived, this messianic king. And in your coming, God has come, for you are the son of God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon, uh, son of Jonah. That's what bar Jonah means. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father is, who is in heaven. By the way, dear friends, you're, if you're sitting in church this morning, understanding who Jesus really is and loving him as the Messiah and as the Son of God. You didn't get there by your own ability or your own brilliance. The Holy Spirit revealed it to you. The Christian faith is a revealed religion. 
This was revealed to Peter. This has been revealed to you by my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, which means a rock. Or maybe if you've been watching the films that are on at the moment, maybe I could put it like this in modern parlance. Um, I tell you, you are rocky. And on this big rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You are a rock-like man. You're a rocky. But on this rock, the rock of your confession about who I am, as one of the early church fathers said, when Jesus said this rock, that is on the faith of his confession, on the confession that he is the Son of God and the Messiah. I will build my church and the gates of hell or the place of death shall not, or Hades, more accurately, shall not prevail against it. Death itself will not overwhelm my kingdom because my kingdom is everlasting and I'm going to conquer death. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth you shall bind in heaven. That is by the proclamation of this gospel. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Peter understands and the disciples are beginning to understand who Jesus really is. Dear friends, let's pause there for a moment. You see, there are uh, some folk, even in the professing church today, who would say Jesus is the best of the options. Um, If I can put it like this, and if I can betray my own preference, if you think of religious alternatives as a kind of row of breakfast cereals in a supermarket, Jesus is perhaps the special K of the breakfast cereals. He is the best of of all the uh, ones on offer. Uh, Perhaps some people don't get quite as far as that, but some people in the church would say, Jesus is the best on offer. But what Jesus is wanting the disciples to understand here and what Peter sees is not just that Jesus is the best of the alternatives who can perhaps be mixed in with some other uh, varieties of things and put alongside it. No, Jesus is on a shelf all of his own. There is no one else like him for he uniquely and supremely and only is the promised Messiah who is the Son of God. Others may be prophets and claim this or that or the other, but this one is the fulfillment of God's promise and is no one less than the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And it's interesting that in a multi-faith context with different claims upon people that it was there that Jesus wanted the disciples to understand who he really was and is. And we need to understand him too. And however polite we ought to be to other religious views and fight for their rights in a free and democratic society, we must insist that only Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and only he can save Only he is the fulfillment of God's promises and only he is God himself. And Peter, you remember, in his preaching um, after the uh, resurrection of the Lord Jesus and in Pentecost, saw this and proclaimed it. 
In Acts 4 and verse 12, just listen to what Peter says. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That was Peter's conviction and the conviction of the early church, and it needs to be our conviction too. But secondly, what did Jesus come to do? For some people get to the point of understanding who Jesus is and are willing to admit that uniquely he is the Son of God, even that he is, in a way, the Savior of the world. They admire his moral teaching. They want to follow his good example. But they're not at all sure about the centrality of the cross in Christian thinking. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples, notice, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and uh, scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus insists that his mission must culminate in him going to Jerusalem. It is not an option for him, for that is why he came. That is why the Gospels predominantly are focused towards the last week of Jesus' ministry and um, his death and resurrection. And here in this gospel, this is the turning point, uh, uh, the first of four predictions by Jesus about what lay ahead of him. He knew exactly what lay ahead of him, and he now wants the disciples, as they're beginning to understand who he is, to understand why he came. I must go to Jerusalem and be killed, and on the third day, rise again. In other words, Jesus is saying here, you can't have me without the cross. You can't simply have me as a wonderful moral teacher, even as the Son of God. You need to understand me by the cross. And if you don't understand that I've come to suffer and to die, and the cross is central to my ministry, you cannot really be a follower of me. Here it is, and Peter again, isn't he, so mirrors us, on the one hand, getting the point and then missing it. And here Peter, perhaps understandably out of love for Jesus, but really is very misguided in that he's picked up the political correctnesses of his day about their expectation of the Messiah as a simply political de- deliverer. Peter took him aside and very, with very strong words began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. I can't believe that the Son of God would, would go to Jerusalem to die. That can't possibly be the case. No, far be it from you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, to Rocky, get behind me, Satan, for at this point you're not being a rock man. You're simply being a stone over which people will stumble. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, whether Peter was useful or not depended on what he confessed. And the confession of his lips is a mirror of his heart. He understood who Jesus was, but at this point didn't understand the necessity of the cross. But let me tell you how clearly Peter understood this later on. Let me read to you, and I think this, in the light of this passage, this is just so wonderful. Look, uh, if you can keep a finger in Matthew 16, look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. 
Peter writes, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. You see, he talks first of all about the example of Jesus, because how Jesus handled the suffering of the cross blew him away. But he said, This is because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's how Jesus handled suffering. But listen, this is why he came, says Peter. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He carried your sins and mine on the tree. Everything that keeps you and me from a relationship with God because of our rebellion against our creator, because of our instinctive determination to go our own way and do our own thing and keep God at arm's length, Jesus carried for you and me on Calvary's tree. In my place condemned he stood, Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. And Peter, you see, by the time he penned one Peter, understood the centrality of the cross. And if you're to be a true disciple of Jesus, you cannot afford to not understand the cross and understand what Jesus did as your sin bearer and substitute. And as a disciple of Jesus, never, never move away from the wonder and glory of that that he who was the son of God determined had to go to Jerusalem because even for God, there was no other way for him to open heaven for you and for me except by the suffering and death of his beloved son. Who Jesus is, why he came, and thirdly, what we need to do about it. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Come after me, as C.H. Spurgeon says, means keep close to our Lord. If anyone would keep close to our Lord, let him deny himself. By the way, you see, the challenge of the Christian faith is not for us to do our own thing with a religious and Christian veneer over it. Or to try and uh, uh, adopt the values or the standards of the world in which we live or the way we particularly want to go in this way or that way and try and twist the word of God or uh, believe that somehow the Lord will be indulgent to us doing our own thing and going our way. Now the challenge of the Christian faith is that this one who is the son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, can be trusted with my life. And if I'm to trust anyone, I should trust him because of who he is and because of what he did for me. And the challenge is to deny ourselves, to lay aside our own attempts to be God to ourselves, to think that we know best what is for our life, And to hand over our lives to the one who gave his life that we might live. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Or to put it another way, to follow the will of God for your life and for mine, whatever it costs. Because the one who calls us is the one who's given his life for us and gave us life in the first place. 
And Jesus goes on, for whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Let me tell you about a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, who used to ring me up from time to time. He was an accountant in the city of London with 180-something people under him. Even for him who understood maths and figures in a way that I don't, um, he used to say, I move around more money every day than even I can get my head around. He said to me, I have fulfilled all my ambitions. I've climbed to the top of the tree of my profession. And I said, what's it like at the top of the tree? He said, it's a pretty lonely place and I wonder what it's all about. And he was the kind, of, the kind of man who had a Ferrari in the garage as an investment. And being a petrol head as I am, I offered to look after it for him. But he didn't seem so enthusiastic. He only took it out once a year. I said, I'll look after it for 364 days and you could bring it out for the other. No, he wasn't too interested in that. But anyway, here he, had, he said, I have more money than I know what to do with. And I've climbed to the top of my profession, but I have no idea what life is all about. He said, talk to me about Jesus. Is there some hope in him? And as we sat there in a, in a pub outside, the tears ran down his cheeks into the glass of beer as I talked to him about Jesus. You see, what idiocy is it to have all our ambitions fulfilled and everything in the bank balance and and this, that and the other. If we lose our own souls, if we don't discover what life is all about and the gospel says this, Jesus says, look, this might sound upside down and it's only upside down because actually, because of your wrong way of looking at it. But I I want to tell you the right way, the right way up of looking at things is if you hand over your life to me, you will find real life you will find eternal life. And if you insist on trying to run it yourself and go your own way and do your own thing, you will lose it. And more importantly, says Jesus in verse 27, for one day the Son of Man is not going to come just as Savior but as Judge with these angels and they will repay each person according to what he has done as the evidence of what's in their hearts. So you see, the issue is all very serious, isn't it? Who is Jesus? He's not just one among many. He's uniquely and supremely the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And when he came, he came supremely to die because there was no other way for heaven to be opened to you and me but by his death as our sin bearer and substitute. There can be no Christianity without the cross A lady said to me, bishops get funny letters from time to time, and a lady wrote to me a while ago with a sad and strange letter. She'd gone to a Mother Sunday service, and she said, I really object to the teaching of the cross, and I wish you Christians would let go of all this stuff about the cross and move on to something more helpful. I wrote back and said, haven't you noticed that on most churches... There is a cross. It's the center of the gospel. And it's glorious and wonderful. I'm so sorry you don't understand it yet. Let me try and explain it to you. No, it's all about the cross. And this one who gave his life for us calls us 
to give our life to him and to follow him and to discover what life is all about. Friend, this morning, do you know this son of God, this savior who gave his life for you and calls you to follow him? If perhaps you've simply been around in Christian circles for a while but never come to this point of commitment, why not make this Sunday that very first day of discovering who Jesus really is and what he did for you and responding to him as you should do with, uh, with your whole heart in love and surrender to him. And Christian, uh, here in church who knows and loves the Lord Jesus, perhaps we all need, don't we, to polish up our understanding of just who it is that Jesus really is and just how wonderful the good news of the gospel is that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And then in the light of that, his call to take up our cross and follow him, to follow his will, to submit to his word, whatever the cost, is not a big burden, but is the way to find life. If for the first time you want to respond to Christ as disciple, as a real true disciple, as a real Christian, ask me for a booklet on the way out and I'd be delighted to give it to you. I think it'll be of some help. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this crystal clear portion of your word. And we pray that the challenge of it and the joy of it and the reality of it may be burned into our hearts and might, might find in each one of us uh, a renewed commitment and a renewed love for our Savior, for Jesus' sake. Amen.